As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to episode 84, brought to you by Mary DeMuth's new book, The Seven Deadly Friendships, and Hair Story. For a limited time, get 10% off Hair Story's new wash by visiting hairstory.com slash lovely and use the code lovely. Welcome to Cultivating the Lovely. I'm your host, Mackenzie Coppa. You can find out more about the podcast at cultivatingthelovely.com in our Yellow Brick Road membership community at patreon.com slash cultivatingthelovely and in our Facebook group. I would also love to connect with you on Instagram where you can find me at Mackenzie Coppa. That's M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E-K-O-P-P-A. Ladies, this week I am bringing you an interview with Haley Morgan, a fellow elder millennial and also the author of the brand new book, Preach to Yourself. Now, I got to say, I did this interview with Haley at six o'clock in the morning and I was so tired, but she made it so easy on me because she has so much amazing content and wonderful things to say about community and fellowship. And I really loved being able to talk with her and dive into those things. I think you guys are really going to like this conversation. But before we get there really quick, I want to make sure you've heard what's going on with my other podcast, The Same Page. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it a thousand times now, but I'm so enjoying my time over there, getting to do it with my kids, having there be the core work of the memory stuff, but also getting to voice these audiobooks for families to be listening to. I've been so encouraged hearing how people are using it on their drive to school or during breakfast or even when their kids are going to bed at night. And my own kids have been using it and actually liking it, which I feel like is a huge stamp of approval to have my own kids be on board. So if you haven't checked it out yet, then make sure that you head over to the samepagepodcast.com or find the same page on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, you know, all those places. We would love to have you join us on this wonderful journey of fostering the atmosphere and sharing the stories that lead us home. Also, with this podcast, you guys, it's been going like gangbusters lately. You must be telling your friends, so thank you so much much. And if you haven't been telling your friends, maybe you feel like you want to. Maybe you want to give a little shout out on social media or leave us a rating and review in iTunes. It makes such a difference. It really helps the podcast to grow and it helps us to get sponsored more so that we can deliver even better content. We have a bunch of really fun guests coming up over the next few months that I am seriously excited about. Names that have been getting pitched to me to come on the show that I don't even have to think about. I just hands down say, I 
why, yes, I want them on the show because they're people that I have legitimately followed and loved for years. So I'm so excited to be bringing you guys not only those people, but the wonderful messages that they have to offer. So tell your friends about it. Get them involved. Maybe you want to have like a podcast study and all hang out together and talk about what you listen to on your phones. Wouldn't that be awesome? I think I might need to start one. And one last thing, if you haven't joined us on Patreon yet, you should totally come over there because we're having so much fun. Not only do we have everything from the same page podcast going on all in the same membership, but we've got everything just for the cultivating the lovely ladies who just want to focus on the self-care and the homemaking. We've got a really fun podcast, What Ingrid and Fiona Like, that is me and my best friend Rebecca. And we've had so many fun topics lately, a lot of them that have come straight from you ladies. Things like our bucket list travel, but we also are incorporating some really practical things like our favorite go-to easy fall dinners. And and how to really be on top of processing what's happening in your day so that you have good emotional health. So all those wonderful things are happening over at patreon.com slash cultivating the lovely. All right, you guys, thank you so much for being such loyal listeners. I love you more than my luggage. So let's get on with the show. Welcome, Haley. Hi, how are you, Mackenzie? I am good. I am like we mentioned, it's early for me here. But it, I know, I can't I'm, imagine. I It's, you know... Like I kind of said, the kids are asleep, so I will take it and get to have this conversation. I hear that. That's great. Yeah, it was fun. I did a a really early interview last week, too, and I actually realized it's really energizing for me to actually talk with someone first thing in the morning. I got done on the call and was like, oh, I'm like set for the day. I need to do a podcast interview every morning. That's kind of great. That's how my day was yesterday. Like my oldest kid gets on the bus at 645, so I was up. I think my body horrifyingly is getting used to being up early. So yesterday I just woke up on my own at 545. Oh my. And it was awful. But (laughs) I had had so much done before like 845 in the morning. I was like, I've been up for three hours. I've done three loads of laundry. I am like on top of the day. This is amazing. And then this morning I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm dying. I think I could do this again. I am so one of those like fits and spurts kind of people. And so yesterday I was on top of the world because I woke up early and this morning I was like, I want to sleep until 11. I can't sleep anymore. Now I have to make up for that. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, totally. Well, I have recently, well, over the last year, I've gotten to chat with Jess Connolly a few yeah. different times. And one of those times was about your guys' most recent book, The Devotional, yeah. Always Too Much, Never Enough, which was just so well done. So bravo for that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that one. I thought it hit on so many things that women are dealing with and needing to hear. And I was just really impressed with it. So you guys did It was really job. fun to write because it was kind of like these little bite-sized pep talks. And yeah. I found that the things I was writing about were things I needed to kind of, like I, you know, the book that I have coming out now, it's kind of things I needed to preach to myself anyway. So yeah. it was a good refresher to do. And I find that we always write the thing that we really need. So mm-hmm. it was good for good for me too. And I think a lot of times those projects that are really personal to us, they're really just the thing that we needed to do for ourselves anyway. And then mm-hmm. we realize, well, maybe somebody else can benefit from this too. Right. I think a lot of times those are the most impactful. I think so too. And it's really interesting with book publishing, especially doing something like a long form book rather than a devotional. Mm-hmm. The 
the project changes so much from when you first pitch the idea of the book to the final product because you know, it's a lot of words and it's over many months and your perspective on the topic changes and the experiences that you've had change the story. And so it's just interesting. You start out thinking you're writing one thing and then, you know, you really realize, oh, you are learning something totally different, but still the same topic. And it's just interesting. It's interesting how it kind of all happens as you need it to happen. So yeah. Okay, I have a question about that. But first, yeah. I should probably say, would you like to introduce yourself and tell me oh, where to sure. find you? I totally yeah, got I ahead guess, of myself. Well, we were just jumping right in. I know. So it's good. Um, yeah, I'm Haley Morgan, and I live in a little suburb of Indianapolis. We live okay. right off of a lake, so we kind of have like a lake town vibe, and I have four little boys. They're not as little as they used to be. They're 11, 9, 7, and 5. And so my oldest is just entering middle school. And I've found that that is very much occupying my heart and my mind right now, just how to love and parent these boys well into this next season of life that we're kind of entering into. and you can find me online at, on Instagram. It's Haley.e.morgan. Those dots are annoying, but they have to be there. So Haley.e.morgan. And you can find um, my personal website at HaleyMorgan.com. And it's H-A-Y-L-E-Y. That's how I spell Haley, which there's 9,000 ways to spell it. So, yeah. um, And I'm kind of on my website, I'm kind of experimenting with bringing blogging back. So I've kind of been just feeling like Instagram feels like a little boring and stale and sterile almost lately. Hmm. And just mostly for myself, mostly just it's not anything anybody else is doing, but I just, I've been on Instagram now for six or seven years and, um, you know, it's just like how many more ways can you say an interesting caption with a cute picture and all that. So I'm trying to go back to blogging and have cultivate a little bit more of a neighborhood feel kind of with commenters coming and the group getting to know each other. And since I write books, it's important for me. I don't really get to see the people I'm writing to very often. And so I miss the feeling of intimacy with people who kind of stop by your website and bother to make a comment and mm-hmm. it's more than, you know, four heart emojis or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'm kind of doing an experiment in that and I really love reading blogs. So I'm kind of trying to contribute to that form of writing right now. So it's so interesting. I've, I always have that kind of in the back of my brain, like, Hmm, I wonder if I should do that again, Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just, I'm mostly doing it for myself. Like, I don't yeah. know. I don't know what, if anything, I mean, I know there are more efficient ways to reach people. I know that there are more business savvy ways to reach people, but I, um, I've done the business savvy thing and I've done the, the efficient thing. And yeah. I think more than anything, I found that really most things in following the Lord, like it's the thing that doesn't make sense that actually yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I'm kind of just following this little thread and this rabbit trail and seeing how it ends up kind of panning out. So I'll report back. I'll let yeah. you know. Yeah, 
yeah, I'll be anxious to see how that goes. Right yeah. now, it's like I've got so many balls up in the air. It's always that thing that crosses my mind. I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be fun. But, yep. you know, yep. how could I actually make that happen? But exactly. Then I, I also think, like, I want to get, do more writing. Like, I would love to write a book someday and all of that. Like, wouldn't writing more consistently right. be a good way to start doing that? You know? I totally know what you mean. Yeah. But speaking of the writing, okay, coming back to what you were saying before I had you introduce yourself, you were saying that the book changes so much mm-hmm. from the time that you start it to the time that you end that. And I'm just wondering, totally from a logistical standpoint, mm-hmm. like how does your publisher feel about that? Do they expect that to happen? Or are they like, hey, this isn't the book you said you would give us? Or like, how does that all yeah. play out? Yeah, well... So I think it depends some on the relationship that you have with your editor and with your publisher. But by the time I was writing this book, they kind of, we had built up a rapport and trust and all of that. And it's not that the book isn't what you pitch to them. It's just what you pitch to them. At least what I pitched to them with the second book in my book contract, Mm -hmm. it's a lot looser and it's a lot shorter. And so like when we wrote Wild and Free, it was, I mean, we ha- our book proposal was super, super long, super detailed. Um, and it changed some, but not dramatically. Like we had had years to kind of ruminate on that idea and mm-hmm. really um, flesh it out. And then your second book, you, I mean, just by nature of how life works, you probably aren't sitting on it for three or five years before yeah. you write it because you're following up your first book. And so it is a lot more, um, more of just an idea when you pitch it to them and you kind of get like the yes or no to go ahead and go forward with it. So it's not so much that it was different than what I pitched to them. It just fleshed out differently than Mm. what I anticipated it fleshing out as. And there was, there was one point, um, in the book where I kind of submitted, some of the writing and a lot of times I mean you don't really if you don't want to you don't really submit anything until you turn in the whole manuscript Mm -hmm. so you could be like totally off track and not really know until you turn it in yeah Um, and I could kind of yeah right Um, (laughs) and I could kind of feel that it was early on in the book and but I had done a significant portion of writing and I could kind of tell I was it was not it was like following too many threads, like it was not coming together cohesively. Mm. And I was getting kind of frustrated with the writing because I wasn't able, I was exploring too many ideas basically. Mm -hmm. And I was having a hard time keeping it to one general simple thread. And really with nonfiction books, you want to keep it as readable and as simple as possible so that people can um, really retain your message and can really take it to heart. And so I was feeling frustrated with it. And so I emailed, you know, a good portion, probably 20,000 words um, of the book to my editor. And I really like through back and forth talking with her, I really realized like I was kind of writing two different books. I was kind of writing one book that I had pitched, which was the preach to yourself idea. Mm -hmm. But I was also complicating it with things that I was learning in the present moment. And I was, um, it was almost like I was adding these like little sketches into the book and trying to kind of like shoehorn them in and trying to figure out how they could fit because they were really important things to me. But um, Stephanie Smith, my editor, who's amazing. Um, she kind of 
was like, hey, let's just like pull these and put them aside and maybe you expand on them later. But like, let's keep things simple and readable for your reader. She's very, um, she's always keeping an eye out for the reader, which I appreciate because sometimes you can get so far in the weeds where you're like, just trying to write myself out of this paper bag that I'm in. Um, But she really helped me see where if I kind of pulled some of the things I was trying to shoehorn into the book that it would really become much more simple and clear in my own head. And that was a huge turning point for the book for sure. And so I still have that writing. I mean, it's not that it like disappears forever. You don't have to, you know, delete it from your computer, but I think I will probably, it's kind of fleshing out to look maybe more like a next book. Which is kind of nice. Like, yeah, hey, I've got, <laughs> right. got this and next it, book already rolling. Yeah, and it's things that, you know, I wasn't going to not be learning them. And it obviously yeah. impacts my life, and my life impacts my writing. So it all ended up being good. But I, it took an editor that, you know, was really willing and able to say, like, hey, these are not fitting the theme as well as what you could write. So let's put those aside, and let's get back on track. Yeah. And, um that really helped the thrust of the second half of the book. Ladies, we've all had them. We've all tried to survive them, and some of us are still trying to get healing from them. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's toxic friendships. They happen to the best of us. And in Mary DeMuth's new book, The Seven Deadly Friendships, she introduces readers to seven kinds of toxic friends, including Narcissist Nolan, Predator Page, and Dramatic Drake. She honestly shares about her own broken relationships, provides us readers with tips on how to recognize toxic character traits, and points us toward practical actions we can take when we find ourselves in unhealthy relationships. DeMuth also gives advice to those readers who may identify themselves as one of these seven deadly friends. In the seven deadly friendships, readers will also discover a pathway toward healing through DeMuth's powerful seven-step process that will help readers face the reality of their broken relationship and unearth exactly what went wrong, discover why they may attract toxic people, heal from broken relational patterns so they can choose safer friends, and evaluate when it's time to press into a friendship or let it go. I think you guys are really going to like this Harvest House book that you can find at 7deadlyfriendships.com or anywhere that you buy your books. I'm not a writer who writes. I know you mentioned Jess Connolly. Um, Obviously, she's like a dear friend of mine, but she writes like chapter one and then chapter two and then chapter three and start Mm -hmm. to finish the book. And that is not at all how I write. I write like I make an outline and I write you know, a smattering here, smattering there. And until I kind of start to get a rhythm of where the book is going Mm -hmm. and it helps me kind of call back to themes that I have in the beginning or tie things from the beginning to the end. And yeah, I bet just kind of the way my brain works. I'm not super linear. So if I had to start at chapter one and know that I was just going to write forward until the end, I would be like, I cannot finish this book. It's never going to be done. So um, anyway, it's just interesting the different ways that books come to be. And that frustrated me to no end when I started writing because I wanted somebody to just tell me how to do it. I wanted somebody to – I Googled, like, how to structure a book, how to write a book, how to do this, how to do that. Because 
I just wanted somebody to lay it out for me. And the problem is, is there's just no one way to do it. And even from book to book, there's no one way to do it, even with the same writer. So anyway, yeah, that's the answer to that logistically. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Well, and it brings me to another logistical question. So you and Jess have written together, I mean, quite a bit, two books, and you have such different styles. So how does that then mesh together with, with you guys coming together on a book? Yeah, Well, it's kind of how our friendship is. I mean, we're not super similar. We have a lot of things that are similar, but a lot of how we look at the world and how we kind of process information is just different Mm -hmm. and in a good way. It helps us kind of um, – helps each other process things that we wouldn't necessarily see on our own. And I think that that's how our books are too. I think that – I always joke that she's like the rah-rah and I'm the one who like comes behind and like rubs your back and says like, it's going to – like, it's going to be great. You can do this. And um, she's the one to, like, rile you up and give you energy and make you want to do it. And I'm the one to come behind and say, like, you're doing good. You can still do it. Like, yeah. keep going. And so from that perspective, writing together has always been really easy. It, um, We almost can depend on each other to fill the weaknesses that each other has. Mm-hmm. And um, – it also allows us to write from our strengths. And I found that doing it by myself, obviously you have to be the whole, the whole piece of the puzzle yeah. or whatever. So, um, so in that regard, writing together has been all I knew up until this point in writing, book yeah. writing. Um, and I loved it. I loved, you know, every part of how we did it. And we just mostly worked on the the main theme and the thrust and the pace and rhythm of the book and then kind of just let each other go in the writing the individual parts of it and it worked I was glad with how it worked and again Stephanie Smith was our editor for um Wild and Free and she does a great job of really maintaining both our our voices together and still keeping it cohesive as a whole so we could still sound like ourselves we didn't have to at one point, we tried to, like, write it as this, like, ephemeral third person, <laughs> kind of. Like, yeah. tried to, like, meld it, us together into one person. Yeah, and that could be difficult. <laughs> it was super hard because I don't have a daughter. So anytime yeah. she would refer to Glory or her daughter, it was obvious that it was her. But she has boys. So anytime I referred to, like, a son, it was like, well, who is this talking right now? Yeah. And so we quickly abandoned that and just went to maintaining our own voices and which is good because it allows us to then work on our own after those two books and yeah. you know find I think that we always joke like we used to speak together a lot and mm-hmm. we always joke that like the people that come up to her and the people who come up to me are super different oh. and they're always like her person is like like crying and hugging her and like, you know, has like giant hoop earrings on and this beautiful dress (laughs) that's like loud and amazing. And then the person who comes up to me is like, has like two tears running down their face and says like, I don't know why I'm crying. I never do this. Like, (laughs) I just wanted, you know, just wanted to say blah, blah, blah. And how, um, how just interesting it is that we really, different people resonate with, what we write differently. Yeah. And so it was also really important that 
that way we be able to find like our own readers and the people really value kind of the perspective that we have. And so, yeah, it's, that was, you know, a great joy of writing a book. And we always say it's way more fun to do it together than it is to do it separately. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to do it on my own, the like releasing and promoting part. Yeah, because that's heavy. Book. Yeah, because it's way more fun to do that stuff with your friends. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we'll see. We'll yeah, see how it goes. I bet. I, I can totally see though, I mean, having read work from both of you guys, yeah. like exactly what you're saying as you were saying all of that about the differences and everything, it makes total sense. Like, yeah. And I can really see like how certain people would relate more to one person or the the next and so that's really interesting moving forward with you guys writing separately how yeah. how that will all pan out and mm-hmm. I have to say I mean I I read the title of the book which is preach to yourself if yeah. I haven't mentioned that yet that's that's what we're chatting about here everybody yeah. um, and I have to say, when I read the tagline, when your inner critic comes calling, talk back with truth, I was like, okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah. And I thought, like, I guess I thought it was more of a have good self-esteem kind of, yeah. <laughs> like, and yeah. that was kind of it. And then I read the first chapter and I was like, oh, wait, this is like, this is so much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and then I. Okay, so I, I gave you guys, I'm not springing this on Haley. I told her before I started the call <laughs> that I have, I usually like to have all books read for the podcast. Like my followers know, I really like to recommend stuff that I really have read and I really believe in. And I have just been so slammed with work getting out the new podcast and all kinds of stuff that I, I was not able to read this one word for word. But I can say, I, skim through the whole thing and really try to pull out the the biggest themes that I saw and things that I thought were really interesting. And I, I thought, oh, I might do it like for the first couple of chapters and the last couple of chapters. But I really did. Once I was hooked in it, I was like, well, I want to see what she says about that. And I want to see what she says about yeah. that. And it's it's a book I will go back and I will like read every word for word. But even just getting the highlights on it from the very first chapter where, where you talk about that dissonance of the mm-hmm. us knowing what we believe, mm-hmm. but not having that feeling to it. Oh my goodness. It, it was just, it hit so home for me, especially I think from my past and the last year and everything and really coming out of a, you know, emotionally abusive situation where mm-hmm. I'd kind of been trained to believe certain things about myself and certain things about how God felt about me. And even Mm. though I knew, like, you know, that's not true. You know, God isn't just disappointed with you and frustrated with you and whatever, but you feel so much like he is that that starts to become your truth, even though it's not accurate. Yeah. It's not the truth. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's the truth. You know, not the truth, but the, the lies yeah. that have become your reality. Mm-hmm. And so I just, when I was reading that part of it, it was like, oh, I, there are other people who feel this way. It was kind of yeah. that sort of thing. And like, oh, I bet there are. I bet this is much more of a common theme with our culture in general of, and and you kind of hit on it some other places in the book as well about how like cathedrals 
used to be a place that was like the the purpose of the actual building was also to honor God. Mm-hmm. And that just struck me so much because I, I think I've been hearing a lot lately that millennials are actually kind of coming back to the the more like cathedral types of faith, yeah. you know, like yeah. where Liturgical they're, and, yeah, there's, like, yeah. there's more structure and there's more like reverence and everything because I think we've been missing a lot of that. It's like we, we go one way or the other, right. you know? Yeah. And I do see how though that could have its appeal because we're wanting to like we've made it this big like oh Jesus is my best friend kind of thing mm-hmm. but we've missed a lot of that reverence a lot of that mm-hmm. sanctity mm-hmm. and so you hitting on those things throughout the book I just thought was so interesting have have you felt like what I'm explaining I I think yeah yeah I so the whole book I mean that's where really the whole book started for me and the idea of writing it was this disconnect between our head and our heart. I'm actually sitting in my office right now and I'm looking at this big whiteboard that has all of my first notes from this book. Oh wow. And just like really sketching out like what does that look like? And um yeah, I it's it I can see one that says head disconnected from heart. Yeah. And I really just from my own life and really being involved in the lives of other young women, I really sensed that we know what we believe. We, um, we have all the head knowledge. We have, you know, a lot of us know scripture. We know what we're supposed to do. We know what is supposed to be truth, but that doesn't change what we hear in our own heads all Mm -hmm. the time. Yeah. And I think that, what we hear in our own heads comes from any number of places, but none of us have like a perfect past. And I don't even mean like that we have done all the right things, but that all the right things have been done to us. Mm -hmm. And, um, we all have wounds that, that tempt us to misbelieve God, disbelieve God. Um, and I really could not figure out like why, why do I believe that God is good, but I don't act like I believe that God is good? Yeah. And um, uh, I went through a time after my second child was born, I really went through a time of like crazy, crazy, crazy anxiety where it was like all consuming. And I I think it was like I had so many good things in my life. I was just afraid of like how it was all going to crumble and I had this wrong belief that God would use tragedy in my life to teach me a lesson. Mm. And I I don't know why, where that kind of crept in, but I really looked. I looked at how I was acting. And I don't mean acting like I was going out and, like, partying and being crazy or whatever. Yeah. But, like, how I was um, functionally – behaving how like I was scared all the time I couldn't appreciate the good things in my life because I felt like the other shoe was going to drop all the time Mm -hmm. um I was afraid to get close to my own kids because I was afraid like what was going to happen to them Mm -hmm. I was very afraid of like bad tragedies happening it felt like everywhere on the internet something bad was always happening Um, and it felt disproportionately like bad things were happening. And so I just started acting very, very afraid. And the way I was acting was 
if I really can like unpack it was that I didn't believe that God was good. I didn't believe that he had, um, that he had my best interest at heart. And it wasn't that I didn't think he was going to get glory because I did. I, but I thought he was going to get glory from something bad happening to me. And it's not that God doesn't get glory when bad things happen because he does and he can still use it. But the belief that I had and the way that it was affecting how I was functionally acting was that I believed that God was going to do something to me in -hmm. order to teach me a lesson. And um, I had to really go back and I had to analyze and look at what does it actually mean to believe that God is good and how does that, if I believe that, how, how does my life look? And it wasn't a change the behavior and then your beliefs follow. It's really like looking at your beliefs and really saying like, do I really believe this? Do Mm -hmm. I, does this ring true to me? And then it's really changing your mind more than it is changing your behavior. And I talk a lot in the book about the way that you change your mind is, you know, through taking your thoughts captive and renewing your mind and all this, like it goes into much more like brain science and things like that. But, um, that's where like the genesis of it all was for me was saying like, Hey, my head, like I have heard for years that God is good. My head knows that. Like if you asked me if I believed that God was good, I would say, yeah, I believe God's good. Sure. Definitely. Um, but in the quiet times of the night, like when everybody else is asleep and I'm laying in bed and I can't turn my brain off my, I do, I'm not functionally believing that God is good. Yeah. And so that's really where it all started for me for figuring this out and for figuring out how, how I could make my head and my heart line up a little bit better because living with a disconnect between those two things is really painful and it's really difficult. It's not comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think you hit on so many things throughout the book that were really specific to our current culture and how this is really fleshing it out and maybe kind of why we got here like we're mm-hmm. we're so independent and mm-hmm. you know we've we're just we're we're driven for potential we always think we have more potential and mm-hmm. we're just kind of like driving ourselves crazy and I thought all of those each time I'd, I'd read like one of those little points it was like oh my goodness you know I I like to not claim the millennial <laughs> Right. The millennial sticker. I'm like, ah, no. Are you an elder millennial? Yes. I'm an elder millennial. An yes. elder millennial. Yes. I like to be like, ah, I've heard a study somewhere where they say like there's an in-between, like a small in-between generation. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure I'm part of that. You know, like, <laughs> you just don't want to have that, that, you know, tag on you. But there were so many things that you said that was like, yes, that that is exactly how I am feeling of, oh, my parents told me I was so unique and I could do anything and you, but you end up kind of like, well, where does that, where does that stop? And, and that independence factor Mm -hmm. was so key with us. I mean, it was like, I was, you know, 16, I was a junior in high school. I was like, hey, I need two more credits to graduate. Why spend another year doing that? Hey, mom and dad, I think I'm just going to go ahead and graduate a year early and head off to college. Yeah. And they were probably thrilled. 
Oh, like they, they no. probably no. At, at first, they were like, "Um, no, you're not. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? We're not gonna lose a whole year." But then, I, I was. They had so trained me to ah. be independent. That it was like, "I oh, know, yeah, I am." And yeah. I'm on this train and you better hop on or, yeah. you know, and so I did. And yeah. there's that sense where you really ha- have to rely on yourself and you stop trusting other people. And even just what you said about um, we're made for community, um, but we're most satisfied with ourselves when we don't need community. And yeah, we, yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, I just, I, it's very confusing. I mean, we say that we value community, but at least for me, I, I value community when it's like, they'll bring me dinner after I have a baby, but I don't want that then to need, I don't want to need dinner when I have four kids and I'm, you know, can't keep my head above water and everything is saying that, well, everything in my mind is saying, well, you should be able to do this. Like you got yourself into this. So yeah. if you, you chose to have four kids, if this is too much for you, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, just yes. keep going. Yes. And, um, I don't know why we think that when we, we have a baby that it's obvious that we need help and all of that. But then once they're like three, it's like, we should have it figured out by then. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and that's just like a silly example of something that I see all through my own life. It's this idea of like make your bed and lie in it. Like yeah. if you if you made these decisions, then you live with the consequences of them and don't invite anybody into that because then they might know the consequences and they may know um, the wrongheadedness maybe of the decision that you made or the rightheadedness that still ended up not being perfect and nothing in our life is going to be perfect. But I think that there's this fear of letting people in and letting people see like the, I mean, it's so cliche now to say like letting people see the mess, but I don't even mean the mess of like, Oh, I have crumbs on my floor whatever. I mean, I definitely have crumbs on my floor. I am, (laughs) I am chief among those people, but I mean like the actual messy that says like, Oh gosh, like, I mean, right now I have four kids and they were easier as babies for me. Like I, I naturally don't mind the chaos of having a bunch of little kids, but the, the thing that my kids demand of me now is attention Uh and, um, you know, really, really caring, not just meeting their physical needs, but you know, listening to their stories and all this. And if I'm really honest, that's 10 times more difficult for me. I'm struggling to keep my head above water right now. And how do you, how do you maintain honesty with the people in your life? Um, when it's not a socially like acceptable thing to need help about and to need, um, to need wisdom about, or just to need companionship about. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's this idea that we're just supposed to live with our decisions. And, um, I, yeah, it's just interesting. I, I really appreciate the way that my parents raised me, um, in a lot of ways, but I do think that there are things that we just do not anticipate the, the consequences of. And I think that's one of them. It like starts with a good intention. And then when it's played out over the next 30 years, then it looks different when it mm-hmm. comes out the other end. Yeah. And I know we're going to have those same things with our yeah, own kids. Absolutely. So I think it's, I think if we can learn to look at 
the good intentions and the good decisions and then figure out how that looks once you hold it up to the truth Mm -hmm. and then figure out how do you kind of recover from that. I think that that, that'll be important for when we parent our own adult children as well. Oh, I agree. Which used to seem forever away. Now now it doesn't so much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I totally get that. Ladies, I want to tell you about a little product that I was honestly kind of skeptical of because it almost sounded too good to be true until I got my hands on it and really started trying it for myself and I'm now in love with it. And that is Hair Stories New Wash. So a lot of people don't realize that their shampoo is often the root cause of all their hair problems. It overcleans your hair, stripping away your body's protective natural barrier, and your body responds by overproducing oil to protect itself. But when you switch to Hair Stories New Wash, you stop this vicious cycle. Your scalp calms down and your hair returns to its true nature. So it's a totally new kind of product. It's not a shampoo or a conditioner. And as someone who has really thick hair and really has to go for it with a conditioner in every shower to the point where I actually comb through it with a pick while I'm in the shower to make sure I'm not getting snarls in it, I was a little skeptical. I thought, how could this actually work? But it does. I can't believe it. It's a completely different experience. It doesn't lather up like your normal shampoo. It feels a lot more like conditioner, but it truly cleans my hair and leaves my hair so much more silky soft and really more vibrant than before. And I get a lot longer out of each wash. A new wash is able to both clean and moisturize with a proprietary blend of essential oils, which you know I love that, and naturally derived saturated cleansers. So there's no detergents or synthetic compounds. Tens of thousands of people have already quit shampoo in favor of New Wash. There are over 5,000 reviews on Hair Story's website. And their website has a sophisticated product wizard that was so great to use. I went through it, answered all these quiz questions, and it told me exactly what type of wash, because they have three different styles of wash, that would be right for me. I thought that their questions were very intuitive and accurate to find the right thing that would work for me. And then I went on to try their style quiz, which helped me figure out out exactly which styling products that they have that would work best for me. I've gotten to try them all and so far they've been right on. I love a personalized experience and they really do a bang up job of it. So for a limited time, you can get 10% off Hair Story's new wash by visiting hairstory.com lovely and using the promo code lovely. Again, head over to hairstory.com lovely, take their quizzes to find out which products would work perfect for you, and for a limited time, get 10% off using the code lovely. And I think it's interesting because... I think a lot of what, you know, our, our parents, the way they, they raised us was for, you know, independence and all of that. And that has its byproducts that we're now seeing. It's harder for us to be in community. And for me, I know it's been like this last year has been that point. I was just discussing with this with a friend yesterday that you kind of reach that rock bottom of like, I have mm-hmm. no choice but to need people. And yeah. the people who really are able to, you see kind of where your circles of friendship are, the people who yeah. are able to to press in and really be there for you in really practical ways. And then kind of out from that, the people who can kind of be there for you emotionally and learning, yeah. learning to accept it and just be really raw and honest and all of that, like you were saying. But I think there's still almost this breakdown between that, you know, our parents' generation and our generation where 
they're still expecting that independence of us. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of okay. getting to that point where we're like, we need people. We need help. Yeah. Like, we need community. We need assistance in this life because it's just too hard to do on your own. And mm-hmm. they're kind of still like, well, you still need to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to do it. Yeah. It's all on you. And that can be a really kind of hard place to be in, too. Yeah. It really can. And I'm really interested in the split in our generation between the elder millennials and the younger millennials. Yeah. Um, Just in knowing that, because a lot of the younger women that I kind of do life with or that I'm involved in kind of the goings on of the things that they do, I sense a lot of, it's very different than how I felt as a young adult. I felt really empowered to go Mm -hmm. like, figure the world out and to go be independent. And there's, I mean, while there's a lot of really good things about being independent and being a feeling empowered and equipped to go out and like solve problems for yourself. And, um, I value the, the, it's not the independence, but it's the confidence maybe to go and tackle those things. And, with the younger millennials, I've found that it's almost flip-flopped that I feel like there's a, a real fear of making the wrong decision oh. and of making a decision for their themselves and that they would do it wrong or that it would um, have unintended consequences or that they wouldn't be perfect. And I think that it's really causing that age group to not be able to kind of step into who God made them to be. I just see a lot of, um, cause you know, it's that whole like helicopter parent thing yeah. where, um, yeah, they, like the, uh, my youngest brother's 10 years younger than me. So he's like on the young end of the millennials and I'm on the older end of the millennials. Yeah. And, um, the difference between how his friends parented him and how my friends parented me is very different. And he, my mom, my parents are split up. So by the time my younger brother was in high school, my mom, it was, you know, the same. She was like, okay, go do it. Go figure it out. Like, yeah. you're going to do fine. Um, but a lot of his friends' parents weren't willing to kind of let his friends fail and fail in the small things. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's very interesting then seeing how, that has its own consequences too, because it can kind of lead to a belief that you can't do it, that, um, that failure is the worst thing that could happen. And, um, so it's this interesting, I think we'll have an interesting kind of point in history and in the church even of how our generation kind of pulls the good from both experiences Mm -hmm. and also kind of helps refine the the not as good parts out. Um, and I think that that's, I think, I think that's good. I think that the Lord will use that to kind of like, I can really see the, the dependence end of what I need to learn. And I can really also speak into like the confidence end for the younger millennials of being able to say like, you can do this. Like, And so what if you fail? What is the worst thing that's going to happen? Like, you know, you don't have to be afraid to make the next move because like life is just a giant series of those. Yeah. Um, And one, one misstep doesn't ruin everything forever. Yeah. Yeah. Being willing to take some of those risks and yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's so interesting, just all the generational things, because I'm hearing a lot like about the the youngest generation coming mm-hmm. up, that they're really kind of becoming the more practical generation. Yeah. Like, oh, my parents' head was pie in the sky, and yep. so I need to get like the real practical job and work hard or yep. <laughs> we're not going to eat or whatever. You know, yeah. it's like the next generation is not going to be all entrepreneurs because right. they're like, I don't know how that's working out. But then there's also, you know, I like I said, I'm not, I don't like to wear the millennial, you know, fly the millennial flag. But yeah. there is something about like, I, I do enjoy that we have so many opportunities to be able yep. to, you know, provide for our families and kind of take some of those risks that our parents' generation would have never, they, I mean, they didn't have the internet, so right. <laughs> they didn't have, they didn't have the ability riskier. to. Yeah, yeah, it was absolutely riskier and you had to have a lot more money to start yep. things and, you know, I mean, it was just, it was a different time, so I'm so interested to see how that will all how that will all play out and how it will look like with our kids being in community with other people. And yeah, will, will that look different for them? Will they be more, you know, okay with that, that thought of needing to depend on others more? Like I can, I can only hope that in the best ways possible, we'll kind of come back to that middle ground. Yeah. Of it's good to have independence and be able to do things for yourself, but we, it, it's okay to need help and yeah and like you were saying in the book that it really teaches us to rely on God ultimately mm-hmm. if we're able to rely on people knowing that people are you know fallible and they they aren't gonna right. always get it right for us but I think if we don't learn to depend on someone it's really hard to learn to depend on God yeah I think it's just very interesting to understand how when we think it's totally up to us. And I think maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the thing that ties like the elder millennials to the younger millennials is we're both acting like it's up to us. Yeah. That our success or our failure is up to us. And I see the elder millennials kind of striking out like on our own and saying like, we're going to blaze a trail and we're going to do things our way and all that. And then I see some of the younger millennials maybe, um, being more fearful to make decisions, to maybe start things. And um, I don't mean like start businesses, but just start life. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, um, it's kind of seems to be based out of that same, that same fear that I have to figure it out. It has to be up to me. Yeah. And I think if we can ultimately just realize that everything that we have like comes from God and um, we don't really provide for ourselves anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, it took, I, it took a hard season of, not having financial wealth for my family to really get to a place of really being dependent on the Lord. And it was the best thing for my husband and I, Mm. we, we live in a place that's, we live where we grew up and where we grew up was a very, is a very affluent suburb where, um, you kind of do things the right way. You do things the Midwestern way where you work hard and you don't complain and you, but you're nice to everybody and everything's always fine. And, um, that can be very stifling and it can really hide the real issues. Yeah. And it was very good for us to realize that, like, even if you're not saving 12% every year to your 401k and blah, 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 yeah. that like the life is 
like that does not make you less valuable or less worthy or less responsible even. And I know that like most people listening are going to roll their eyes like that's the silliest thing ever. But it was unlearning something that was very culturally ingrained for us and even very culturally ingrained within the church. And I think that if you can kind of like take that example and look at how that might play out in your own life, like what might be that thing in your own community um, that you kind of are assigning God-like qualities to Mm -hmm. because um, people that that we live by, they would just say like, that's wise, that's responsible, that's good stewardship, that's X, Y, and Z. And really for us, it was an idol and it was not an idol of amassing a lot of money, but it was an idol of being responsible and, um, being secure and comfortable and things like that. And so it being kind of broken of that was really good. And it helped us realize like, what do we actually need and really, really deeply learning and learning to believe that God was going to provide it for us in whatever form that that looked like and that we could depend on it. And every time I tried to act outside of um, God's provision, every time time I tried to say like, I'm going to go make that happen, I'll go wrestle up some money. And not that that's bad. It was just disobedient for me because I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be learning this lesson of dependence on the Lord. And my flesh wanted to say, I can do this myself. I don't need to, I don't actually functionally need to depend on you because I have these skills and I have these opportunities and I'm going to go exercise that. And it was like the most clear thing in the world that God was like, no, please do not do that. And it, I've never experienced that before and I haven't experienced it after, but in this small season, it was just really learning like that God was actually a father who was actually going to take care of us and that it wasn't out of my own goodness or my own smarts or my own responsibility or anything else. And it kind of took away my pride in a really good way, in a way that made me, you know, that it sounds cliche, but it made me have faith more like a child, like more like a little kid that believes that they're going to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Why wouldn't they? Like, unless you had an experience that proves otherwise, like the assumption is that it will be there. And so it was, I had to go back and actually depend on God. I didn't really realize that I had functionally not been depending on God for a long time for that. Yeah, it's so true and it's so good. And I love that in your book, you make it really practical to to work through those things, to identify them in your own life. And then it, you do a good job of being like, okay, and this is this is now how to tackle, Yeah, like you said, your brain, like how you're thinking about this and how to start healing those wounds and actually addressing mm-hmm. them. And I, I really think that that is incredibly valuable and practical about your book. So good job. Thanks. I try to, um, I like my fiction books to be really long. I like not books I write. I don't write fiction, but when I read fiction, I like fiction books to be really long. I like to get lost in a story and have it never end and all of that. But my nonfiction books that I read, I want them to be short. I want them to be enjoyable to read and I want them to, 
um, not waste my time on themselves 10,000 times. And so I try, like, I try to make this book, like, kind of on the shorter side. It totally is. Short and sweet and where you feel like you, you get it without having to hear it you know, 100 times. Yes. And um, I try to respect people's time. So that was kind of my, that yeah. was kind of my point in that. I appreciate that. Because sometimes you pick up those nonfiction books and it's like, okay, I think this person was a blogger and they took blog yeah. posts they had and they just added more words to them. Yeah. Yeah. And you like get it within the first like three chapters yeah. and then you're ready to be done. Yeah. yeah. So I try to just like know that you don't have to say everything that you want to say. Um, there's plenty of other avenues that you can write later. And yeah. that was a good lesson to yeah. learn with this book. So anyway, yeah. it's, well, I'm good really excited. job. I'm, I'm really yeah. liking it. I can't wait to go in, like really dig into it more because it ha- I think it has a lot of valuable, valuable things for addressing those things in our life. So Thanks. good Thanks. job. Okay. Haley, how are you currently cultivating loveliness in your life? Yeah, well, this, so kind of after we're coming out of that aforementioned season of just financial leanness, I would say, um, is not the easiest time for us. And it required a lot of dependence on our community and um, definitely on the Lord. And we were lucky enough to have bought a house at the bottom of the market in like 2010. So our house that we were living, that we are living in is like, perfect for our family, all of that. Not super, it was super, super cheap when we bought it for what it is. And so that kind of was like God's provision for us, even in lean times. And, Mm -hmm. but we like pretty much put a pause on like making it a home for like four or five years. We lived there for for eight years. And the first like four years, I was like gung ho on like decorating it and making it feel like a home and blah, blah, blah. But in the last several years where we just like did not have extra money, I like just stopped shopping for anything. And so, you know, slowly when you do that, your house kind of doesn't feel as like homey and comfortable and all of that. And so, and I just didn't let myself like dream or think bigger in that regard anymore. I kind of just like, And when it came to our house, I saw it as very, like, it was provision. I was grateful for it, like, roof over our heads, all of that. But I did not think of it with, like, a holy imagination that, like, this is a soft place to land for our family and for our kids. And I think other people would naturally do that more than what I did, even in difficult times. But I just didn't. And I feel like lately I'm kind of, like, opening up that imagination again and imagining – I mean, it's not like we're like, we're not zillionaires right now. It's not like I'm going and like shopping like crazy. Um, It's still very like, very lean on those things. But it's this idea that like I can, I have the mental energy now a little bit more to kind of imagine what it might be like to kind of cultivate our home as a place of loveliness and a place of, um, of like kind of a refuge for our kids' hearts. Like I know middle school is difficult yeah. and it was difficult for me when I was in it. And I really want our our home to be a place of refuge in that situation for our kids. So I'm, yeah, so that's kind of, I'm kind of spending like small amounts of money here and there to kind of like get things back to level kind of. Yeah. And then also thinking of ways 
that I can kind of, yeah, make it a more, a more calm, peaceful place to be. So that's how I'm doing it. How about you? Well, first of all, I have to, I have to riff off of this for a second, because if that's what you're doing right now, you have to get Michael and Smith's new book. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm going to be a in oh, um, October. So yeah, Michael and and I were friends. We lived in North Carolina and we went to church together. Oh, back, um, fun. Carolina. Yeah. So she's great. I got to like learn that firsthand from her when I had tiny little kids and she came over to my house and uh, she, I had like crumbs on my floor and I did the whole, like, I'm so sorry, my house is such a mess. Like yeah. that whole stupid thing. And she was like, listen, crumbs make me feel like I'm at home. So thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. And it was like the most Michael and thing ever. And I feel like I got to learn a lot from her like early on in our marriage and motherhood. Yeah, that's amazing. Great. Yeah. How fun. She is so sweet. Mm-hmm. But have you read the new book? Mm-mm. Oh, gosh. I haven't yet. No. Because everything that you're saying, especially about like she talks about wanting to make her home like an inviting place for her teenagers and a place yeah. they're actually going to want to be. And like she has so much wisdom beyond just decorating wisdom yeah. in the book. It was so good. You've got if so that, good. that should be in there as you're choosing things for your home because I'm going to do it. It was so good. Yeah. Okay. And my cultivating loveliness thing is kind of kind of off that same like hominess idea, but specifically lighting. So we Mm. moved in with my grandma this last summer, just we're closer to the kids' school and all that kind of thing. And so we have a little bit more designated spaces than we had when we were on my parents' living room floor. (laughs) Like, my kids are all sharing a room, but at least they have a room to share. Yeah, And like, I have this basement room and, you know, so at least... At least we have some space. And so I, over the course of the year, you know, I've, I've picked up things along the way, knowing eventually we'll have a place to live. Right. And one of the first things I bought for all of us was lamps. Yeah. And so I ended up actually, I have lamps for when we move into like a real place and my kids have nightstands and that sort of thing. But we have these two bunk beds shoved into their bedroom right now. And I went because we moved in around the time when all of the dorm sales were going on. Oh, yeah. And they had all the like clip on lamps at like Target. So for $5 each, I got each of them a clip on lamp to be able to put on their bed. And then like my girls have twinkle lights wrapped around their bed. And then I have these lamps next to my bed. And I love, especially now, you know, like coming into fall, being able to have that mood lighting in the evening, like turning off the overhead lights and just being like, okay, we're winding down now. And it just ushers in such a different feeling and just the lighting makes it so much more cozy and homey and there's just kind of like this this bringing in like okay we're in this together we're you know we're getting through this and we we've got our our lamps (laughs) there's just something about it and And I I bet for your kids I bet like having them clipped on in their little bed I bet that that gives them such like a sense of place and context for their little selves yeah I, I I really wanted them to have ownership over some sort of space, even if it yeah. was just the space 
on their bed. And so like my boys, I bought again during the dorm sales, they had all those things that you can like hook onto your bed that are organizers that you can put stuff in. And so like they each have one of those and my girls have little baskets at the end of their beds to, you know, put all their specific things in that are just theirs. And so it's been this really great, like moving here was not, we didn't expect it to happen. It wasn't, we'd kind of, even though it wasn't ideal at my parents, we'd gotten used to doing life there a certain way. And so it was a really big transition having to come over here. But now looking back a little bit, I see it as like kind of this stepping stone between like fully living, you know, on the floor to fully being out on our own. It's this kind of time where we get to sort of start readjusting like my kids have beds that they can make every morning and by that I don't mean like picking them up and putting them away right (laughs) like it's actually like oh we get into these new rhythms of what our family will look like when we're completely out on our own and so that's actually been much more sweet than I expected it to be I thought it would just be kind of like frustration and a trial but it's it's been a good stepping stone towards us really reforming ourselves as a family so yeah and I bet it's such a gift for your grandma too like to be with like the freshness of kids and to be able to spend time with you and things like that I bet that's a gift for her too you know we have our moments where it's like well yeah is grandma gonna survive this but but yeah I definitely see those things where you know she took my oldest son out to lunch yesterday yeah. and because I had taken the girls to, you know, whatever activity they had or whatever. And so she just took them out to lunch and they had like this moment together. And then a couple nights ago, my five-year-old was sitting on my grandma's lap playing Candy Crush with her. And like, yeah. they're having these little moments, which, you know, my grandma's getting older and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm grateful that they will have these really ingrained memories of her. Yep. You know, so so I think that in the long run, it will feel it will feel worth it, even if it's hard while we're doing it. Yeah, I totally I totally know what you mean. I think that's most things in life. Honestly. Yeah, yeah it's true. OK, so are good. you ready for your stock questions? I am ready. OK, candles or essential oil diffuser? Candles. All right. Cloth napkins <laughs> or paper? Oh, paper, because I'm terrible. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think that's terrible at all. Okay, city or country? Uh, Either. I live in the suburbs, but I love both the country and the city. It's the suburbs that kill me. But they're also wonderful and practical and amazing for kids. So I also appreciate them. Yep. Okay, shopping. Would you rather do it online or in-store? If I'm actually going to buy stuff, I'd rather buy, get it online, but I really still like the experience of browsing at like a brick and mortar. Okay. It's four o'clock or whatever time you make dinner and you need a mental break. Do you listen to a podcast or music? Mm, I prefer silence. Okay. So <laughs> I will try to get my kids occupied somewhere else and just cook in silence. Yes. That's a viable choice. <laughs> okay. Chocolate, milk or dark? Milk. All right. Because I'm like an eight-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I all... like dark chocolate is so sophisticated and that's oh, what that's you're supposed hilarious. to answer. But I'm totally a milk chocolate person. That's so funny. And I tend to think that anyone, I mean, probably just with children, period, should need dark chocolate in their life as much as I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, you got to go for what comforts you the most. That's true. 
Okay, sports or no sports? I love sports. I, I have four boys, so I feel like yeah. I have to like embrace sports or yeah. I'd go crazy. Yeah, I have two, and I, I'm like, I will come cheer for you. I will yeah. never play it or just watch it of my own accord, but if you're playing, I'm all there. Yeah, we like watch sports. We talk about sports. We do fantasy football. We do wow. like all the things. My kids check the ESPN app in the morning so That's they can so talk funny. about it with their friends. So yeah, we're all... All on board sports. Okay, live broadcasting. Would you rather broadcast or watch? Mm, Probably broadcast. Okay. What is your favorite movie? Mm, That's a good one. I'm a TV show person more than a movie person. So I... I love TV, and Grey's Anatomy is the TV show that I've stuck with the longest. Okay. I'm still like a loyal watcher on regular TV, not even like Hulu or anything. Wow. I tune in. I tune in at <laughs> eight o'clock on Thursdays, like That's, an elderly person. Yes, that does not happen often. No, it doesn't. Even my grandmother it, DVRs. <laughs> exactly, and I. It came out the year that my husband and I got married, and I feel like it's just kind of been part of my adulthood. Yeah, and so I'm gonna like see it through till the end. Yeah, that was ER <laughs> for me. I, yes, I hear that. Long before I could ever actually watch it, but then I got sucked in because I would always hear my parents watching it at night. Yeah, and then it was such an end of an era when it when it stopped. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna probably cry my eyes out. Yeah, when reason is over. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Last question: If you were to put yourself on the crunchiness spectrum, and zero is totally not crunchy, and ten is like singing "Kumbaya" by the fire with your legs unshaven and dreadlocks in your hair. Where are you? Uh, I'm probably like a 2.5 or a 3, to be totally <laughs> honest. <laughs> okay. I, I really like the idea of being super crunchy, but I also really like Diet Coke. So <laughs> it's really, yeah, it's really. It's, it's that awesome. rub. Yeah. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a delight. This is the best. Thanks for having me. You made it so easy for me this morning. I really appreciate it. (laughs) It was really fun. Thanks for having me. Yep. Bye. Bye. That Haley's got spunk, huh? She's so much fun. I just loved being able to chat with her on the show. I hope you guys really enjoyed it too. And if you want links to any of the stuff we talked about, including her book, you can go to boldturquoise.com slash 084. And by the way, whenever you use those links that we have up there to buy things through Amazon, we get a little bit of credit, but it doesn't cost you any more money. So it's one more little way that you can support the show. And man, do we ever appreciate it because it may sound like it's just me here, but there's really a team who puts this whole thing together and I am so grateful to them, particularly to Kiel, Paul, and Rebecca. They really make this show keep running the way that it does and so thank you to them. Next week, I'll be back with Shannon Martin and we're gonna talk about her new book, The Ministry of Ordinary Places. It's really good and I'm excited to share that conversation with you guys. Until then, if you're just like really missing the whole Cultivating the Lovely thing, then be sure you head over to patreon.com slash cultivatingthelovely and you can catch up on old episodes of What Ingrid and Fiona Like and the new Yellow Brick Road podcast that goes along with the same page. So much goodness! We're going to just keep your earbuds busy all the time. So go check it out. Thanks so much for listening. Go be bold and gracious.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.